somewhere in Europe, maybe Germany, to go and give a talk at a conference. So, you know, I'd ha- I kind of like that day, I'd had my, my suit on, I'd given a talk at a conference and sort of was a, a professional woman, you know, like in, in the workplace. I came, came back home and changed into jeans and a T-shirt, like picked my daughter up from nursery, changed into jeans and a T-shirt and went up the road to go to the shops to get some shopping. And I just remember really noticing that day how people treated me so differently when I was walking along pushing a buggy to how they treated me when I was, you know, wearing a suit, kind of going on international flights or something, or or at an international conference. Welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. I'm Farina Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. So with this podcast and our award-winning fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your children. And that is also why I would like to invite you to take the first step to join a network of like-minded ambitious parents who also love their kids from all sectors by registering interest today on www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest. Um, That's to register interest into the fellowship, which applications for which are going to open very soon and gets you a senior leader mentor, access to thought leadership about what works for parents and careers and most importantly, space to think in a supportive environment. So, Today, I am interviewing the incredibly inspirational Sue Black OBE. Um, I have to say, <laughs> I had a little bit of a fan girl moment, I think, when I realized that she said yes to being interviewed on the podcast. She is a professor of computer science. She's a social entrepreneur and, and of course, a mom. We talk about how she moved from sometimes barely being able to afford to eat as a young mom to acclaimed university professor, how she just kept going and kept putting herself forward to roles despite everything else going on around her which personally really resonated with me and practically I took a lot from explain to me about how she just negotiated with her university about still having time to do this run the social enterprise tech mums in addition to being a professor and yeah it just made me think about how you can do things and craft your own life and career in a way with courage so yeah i found her very inspirational i hope you do too enjoy very warm welcome sue to the podcast why don't we start with you introducing yourself and perhaps tell us a little bit about who is in your family well thanks very much for inviting me to the podcast my name's professor sue black professor of computer science and technology evangelist at Durham university along with Lots of other things that I do, which we'll probably get into. My family, I've got four children. So three older children who are in their 30s, who've all, who are all married and got children. And then a 16-year-old daughter who lives at home with me and my husband, my second husband. Mm. And how has lockdown been for you so far? It sounds like you obviously had a 16-year-old at home. Did you have to engage in the, in the whole school homeschool challenge or did you decide to <laughs> not to do that? Well, I mean, the thing is she's pretty self-sufficient at 16. So she was going to be taking her GCSEs around now, but as the, those were um, cancelled, then she's not. So she's 
starting A-levels, really. So her school's put on some classes, some A-level classes, but that's basically three hours a week. And so she attends those online and does some schoolwork. But in general, really, she's uh, she's been great, actually. You know, she's a great cook. So she's been cooking dinner for us every night, which has been lovely. And so that's been good. You know, both myself and my husband, we're both working full time from home. So but actually, it's been fine. I mean, I feel I think I'm sort of in the best case situation in terms of we've got a house and a garden. We've got enough money. We all get on with each other. So, in fact, the most difficult thing for me really has been not being able to meet up and hug my grandchildren. It's been the hardest thing, really. So, you know, I've got five grandchildren now who, you know, I adore. And but one of the most wonderful things in my life is is just kind of like sitting and playing or mucking about with my grandchildren or reading them books and just kind of hanging out with them, really. And so the hardest thing for me has been not being able to do that. That's what I miss the most, definitely. But like I said, I think I'm, you know, I just feel very lucky that I'm in the situation that I am now in that, you know, I haven't really got anything to worry about per se. And in fact, I've had a bit of a rest because I live in London and Durham and they're 300 miles away from each other. So, you know, my family are all in London, but I work at Durham University. So I was going up there before lockdown almost every week for a couple of days. And, you know, I've got a flat in Durham as well that I stay in within one of the colleges. And so, you know, I absolutely love doing that, but it's been quite nice to not do that for a while and to not even travel internationally. I do quite a bit of international travel as well, which I absolutely love as well. But again, I kind of feel like I've had a bit of a rest really in not kind of racing around the country or the globe, going to different meetings, going to work at Durham Uni and yeah, all sorts of things that I usually get involved in. So I would say really that it's gone pretty well. I've had quite a nice rest and I get really delicious meals cooked for me by my daughter every night. So yeah, the main thing is just missing my grandchildren really. Your daughter definitely sounds like someone I need to have in my household. Um, uh, as I mentioned, my- <laughs> I've got to start hiring her out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah. As I mentioned, my children are uh, quite a bit younger, and I think it doesn't—they they don't fulfil that cooking criteria just just yet. Yeah, I mean, what you said—it just made me re- think again about how lockdown is such a different experience for for everyone. And actually, I'm between thinking how unbelievably privileged I am to have a small garden to be reasonably safe you know not have any major things going wrong at the moment but at the same time as you say you do really miss the people that you love and yeah I think kind of giving yourself permission to actually say yeah it is rubbish even though it is more rubbish for other people yeah you haven't always been a computer scientist can you take us a bit well, through the story of your life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Might take some time. <laughs> so kind of like for everyone to get to know a bit about me, I just come from like an average family, I guess, like mum, dad, brother and sister who are twins. What happened when I was 12 was that my my mum died and my dad remarried the next year so possibly too quickly and and possibly to the wrong person uh, so just a personal opinion there my life kind of went from like living in a functional family to living in a dysfunctional family there was lots of sort of emotional and some physical abuse 
and I just left home as soon as I could. So I left home at 16. I lived with my friend Kate's family for a year near where I was living out in Essex and then moved to London when I was 17. At 16, I tried to stay on at school, but it was just too difficult going to school and working in the evenings and weekends to to pay my rent. And I realized at some point that I, you know, I wasn't going to get any A-levels because I wasn't doing the homework and I was falling asleep in class and stuff. So, so basically left home at school at 16, moved to London at 17, worked with refugees from Vietnam for a year, which I loved. Then became a student nurse. I really wanted to, to have some sort of career. So I tried nursing, which is what my parents and loads of people in my family were nurses. But I didn't really like that. Then got a job working at a record company in the accounts department. I'd always loved maths. So actually sort of maths and music were my big loves then still really. And so worked there for two years, then got married to my boyfriend at 20, had my first daughter at 21. And then I thought, well, I'll I'll have another baby and then I'll go back to work. But the other baby turned out to be twin boys. So at 23, I had a, a two-year-old daughter and a baby twin sons and unfortunately what happened after that was that my marriage broke down and I end up ended up at 24 or 25 having to run away to a women's refuge my ex-husband became violent and he threatened my life before that and for some reason I didn't really take that seriously but when he threatened to kill all of us including my children I just thought okay I just have to get out of here so ran away to a women's refuge stayed in a women's aid refuge for six months can I just ask at this point Did you think about the future? Did you have any aspirations about the future or was it just about survival? I guess in terms of my career, I didn't really have a career then. You know, I'd been a stay-at-home mum for three years, four years, yeah, nearly four years. And at some point I knew that I wanted to go back into the workplace, but I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And so, I mean, that, that kind of like came into my mind when we left the refuge and we got a flat, which was in uh, Brixton in South London got a council flat and so then I got my daughter so she was like four then so into reception at the local school and got the boys into a play group down the road for a couple of hours a day and then once I'd got all of that kind of sorted I started thinking so you know what am I going to do now my first thought was to go back to work but what I realized was you know I didn't have many qualifications I'd left school at 16 If I was to go out and get a job, I hadn't worked for four years. If I was to go out and try and get a job, I would be on minimum wage. And I realized by, you know, looking at how much I could earn and how much childcare cost that actually I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't go back to work because I wouldn't be able to earn enough money. So then I started thinking, what am I going to do? Why don't I try, try going back into education? You know, I hadn't wanted to drop my A-levels back when I was 16. So I thought, well, why don't I try and get some A-levels now, maybe try to get to university. So I went along to the local college, which is Southwark College in London, and signed up for a maths course, which was a, like a fast track maths course. And maths was always my favourite subject at school, subject that I found easiest. And so that was six hours a week, which really suited me. So two evenings a week study and then 20 hours a week private study, like reading at home. And so that worked really well for me with childcare responsibilities. So and it was a, a kind of like a fast track maths course. So it was equivalent to two A-levels in one year. So I did that and passed that. And then that gave me uh, the qualifications that I needed to go to university. So then I went to uni. I went to South Bank Uni, which was my local uni. And I didn't really have much choice about which uni I was going to go to because, you know, I still had to 
take the kids to school in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon. And so, you know, I couldn't travel to a uni further away. I think it took me about half an hour, an hour to get to to Southbank from where we lived. So so that was my choice. And there they had either a maths degree or a computing degree. And I just thought I'd done some programming as part of my, the maths course at college and I just was very excited about technology. I just thought it was, you know, it was going to be so important in the future. And so I thought, I'll, you know, I'll study computer science. So I applied to study computer science and got in and then did a, a four-year degree in computing. And so that was really hard to start with. I mean, I really loved it. But at the same time, you know, I wasn't getting to uni till 10 because I had to drop the kids off at school at nine o'clock. And then I had to pick them up at three. So I would have to leave lectures at two and they went on till six. So particularly in the first year, I didn't get to all the lectures, maybe about half to two thirds of them. And I guess I, you know, like a couple of times actually during the first year, I went into my personal tutor crying because I just thought I just can't do this. You know, I couldn't, I just didn't have the time to do all the coursework. I wasn't in all the lectures to kind of hear, you know, what the lecturers were saying. And I think we had to get 50% to pass the first year. And I think I got 52 or something like that. So I just kind of scraped through the first year. But as time went on, kids started getting a bit older. Things got a bit easier as I kind of went through my degree. And I did a four-year degree, so I did a one-year placement with Haringey Council and putting computers into schools. And so then I finished after four years with a, a 2-1 in computing. And, and honestly, the degree got easier and easier as I went along because I had more time. The kids were getting older and it just became easier. And then in the, the final year of my degree, my project supervisor asked me if I was interested in doing a PhD. And I said to him, oh, I'd love to do a PhD, but I didn't tell him I didn't know what a PhD was. So I went off after the meeting and, and looked up what is a PhD and then when I found out that it was basically doing research on your own for three years and it was a funded place, I just thought, well, I'm, I'm going to apply for that. So I applied to do a PhD. I also applied to be a maths teacher and I kind of got both both of those, you know, I passed the interviews for both of those and decided to do a PhD because it was very flexible. You know, I'd be able to work from home some of the time and having small children, that's what I needed really. I kind of realised in my final year, my kind of dream was to be like an international IT consultant but it kind of dawned on me towards the end of my final year that actually, I, you know, a single parent with three children, I couldn't, I just, there's no way I could do that with, you know, not much family support around me. So stayed on, did a PhD. That took me seven years. During that, I applied for a full-time lectureship at the university and I got that. So finally then after seven years of study, I think I had a proper salary, which meant that I could pay my bills. And, you know, that was such a relief because I think, you know, one of the most kind of fundamental steps in your career, I guess, as you try to kind of go up the go up the ladder is, you know, once you earn enough money to pay your bills, I think it's a massive weight off your mind. Because, you know, I can just, I can still remember now how it felt to have all of this kind of financial weight on my brain where, you know, I, sometimes I, I couldn't pay the rent. And so the, the council were taking steps to take me to court to pay the rent and like you know I didn't have anyone that I could get any money from it was just down to me really so if I didn't have the money there wasn't anywhere else to get it from and so you know sometimes we were really kind of living from hand to mouth I remember meals where you know we'd have like a fried egg and mashed potato for dinner 
And, you know, sometimes I would just have mashed potato with tomato sauce because I, I couldn't afford another egg, you know, just it, which seems crazy now that, you know, I've, I've spent quite a while now having enough money to live on. But, you know, it, it was quite difficult for some time. And yeah, so, so then I became a lecturer and then I just applied for promotion anytime I could really, mainly because I wanted to, to earn more money so that I could give my kids a good life, you know, a, a better life. And a lot of the time, my children were kind of the driving force in terms of me trying to earn enough money because, you know, I wanted to bring them up with enough clothes, with with shoes and, you know, with being able to have a holiday once a year and that sort of thing, being able to, to buy them stuff that they needed for school or, you know, whatever. And so once I got to the level of income where I could do that, well, I mean, that's what I was aiming for, I guess, really throughout all that time. And did you see from the start where you were going? No, 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 no. It was kind of one step at a time, I think, really. You know, my main thought at the beginning was I need to earn money. I need to earn enough money to, to support myself and my children. And, you know, I'd, I'd not, before we left, I'd not really thought about what's it like going to be like being a single parent. It was kind of a bit of a, you know, we just kind of like rushed out one day. So it's not like I'd planned what I was going to do at all. Am I right in thinking that you, obviously I don't know exactly your financial situation, but it sounds like you were taking a huge risk by going into education at a time where you could have, obviously it would have been only the minimum wage and possibly topped up with some state benefit, which is very low and we can debate about whether or not that's enough to survive. But it does seem a really precarious decision. And tell me if I'm wrong, but it does seem to be a really brave precarious and risky decision to fully focus on your education one is that true and and did you ever consider giving up yeah I consider giving up loads of times yeah no, I totally consider giving up a lot a lot of times particularly like in that first year it was so hard and I just kept questioning have I made the right decision because you know I wasn't I was getting some good marks but overall I wasn't doing that well I was finding it really difficult you know I didn't have enough time to, to do all of the coursework. So some things I couldn't even hand in because I didn't even have time to do them. I guess I I kind of made, I, I seem to have this sort of personality where when I need to make a decision, I, I try and weigh everything up in my mind for a certain amount of time. But then once I've taken that step and decided what I'm going to do, I just kind of get on with it really. And, you know, so I might have some doubts in my mind about whether it was the right decision but I just think there's there's no point looking back and regretting anything because, you know, like I made the best decision I could at the time. And so, I, you know, I just kind of stuck with it basically. So, yeah, definitely I had some doubts. But at the same time, you know, I've never regretted doing that. And I think I was really – I honestly thought that was my only option. So it's I didn't really feel like I had any choices at all. Because, you know, if I really wanted to provide a good life for my children, you know, that that was the only option that I thought I had, really. So, you know, I didn't really feel like I had much of a choice. I just saw that as the only way to create the kind of life and environment that I wanted for my family. In your field, there are not that many single moms that have been on the breadline. Did you face any assumptions from others and if yes how did you deal with that well I suppose the the main kind of issues that I had were 
people that didn't really know me, I suppose. So kind of thinking back to that time, you know, for example, going to the council offices when I couldn't pay the rent or I don't know, through to kind of like various people. I think people, I don't understand why, but this kind of became clear to me when I had my youngest daughter, you know, my, my older kids were teenagers. And so I hadn't had little kids for a while. And at that time, I was, you know, I had a good job. I was a lecturer at university. I had a good salary. And I was sort of going to international conferences and stuff. And I had a a good career. And I just remember one day where I think I'd been to somewhere in Europe, maybe Germany, to go and give a talk at a conference. So, you know, I'd ha- I kind of like that day, I'd had my, my suit on. Before I'd gone over to Germany, I'd given a talk at a conference and sort of was a, a professional woman, you know, like in the workplace. I came came back home and changed into jeans and a T-shirt. Like picked my daughter up from nursery, changed into jeans and a T-shirt and went up the road to go to the shops to get some shopping. And I just remember really noticing that day how people treated me so differently when I was walking along pushing a buggy to how they treated me when I was you know wearing a suit kind of going on international flights or something or or at an international conference and it just so dramatically different and you know I, I don't understand why we treat women with children kind of like a woman walking along with a buggy why do those people in society get treated so badly? And I really think they do. You know, I I kind of faced lots of just ridiculous things that happened, you know, like even like bus drivers being extremely rude to me. And I, I still don't really know why, but that was quite a, a common occurrence, you know, being, being a woman trying to get on a bus with a buggy. Things have got better now because there's more spaces for buggies and stuff on, on buses, but they're still not great. I think. And just people in society seem to treat mums as like the kind of lowest of the low, particularly with small children. And of course, it's not everybody. But I think there's a lot of judgment out there. And I don't quite understand it. You know, like, I think a lot of the time, mums with small children are seen as kind of a bit dim. And I don't know, just not great members of society, which is utterly ridiculous. But I, you know, I really noticed the difference that one day where I was kind of like a professional woman getting treated like a professional woman. The same day, I, I was treated without respect as a mum with a small child. I couldn't agree more. And I do think we should, we really need to do something. And I know you're doing a lot already to just change that so that it's totally okay to be, and that it's accepted and you are a member of society, you're, yes, you have young babies, but actually you're also a really serious career woman and you're something really valuable to, to society. And likewise for men, actually. I'm hearing too many comments about that who are looking after children, you know, not being committed, not being this, that and the other at work. Um, so I think that that's the other side of the coin. And, and so did you hide that you were a mother at work or how did you deal with that if if or or did it not really impact work I don't I mean maybe because I was at a university I don't know and also you know I worked at the same university to start with that I'd been a student at so you know quite a lot of the lecturers all knew that I had kids because I'd brought them in you know at half term I'd brought the kids in because there was a school half term but there wasn't a university half term so 
you know, my kids had come in with me to lectures all through my degree when they were on school holidays. And, you know, I kind of had them well trained, I guess, in terms of, you know, they'd have their stuff to bring in with them, some schoolwork or, or, you know, a book to read or something. So they were quite used to coming into uni with me and sitting with me in classes. And so I checked with the the lecturers if that was fine and they were all absolutely fine with it. So when I became a lecturer at the same university, you know, like everyone knew my kids already. So that wasn't really wasn't an issue, but I'm sure that it, it can be for some people. Definitely. Uh, but hopefully less and less. So I'm intrigued by the fact that you said you just kept applying for the next job up. So many people wouldn't dare doing that or would question themselves about whether they were good enough. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, no, it absolutely did. And it's not that I was confident that I would get it, but I just thought that I need to earn more money for my kids. And I think I think like a lot of the time when I'm kind of asking for something for myself, not so much now, but over my career, I found it quite difficult. Whereas if I'm asking for something for someone else or some other group, then I find it quite easy if I think that it's important to do that. So in this case, I think I was trying to create a better life for my children. And so I saw being promoted and earning more money as as part of that right to provide a better life for my kids so somehow that meant that I could just do it really and yeah I probably did doubt my own abilities and stuff but at the same time I just thought I have to do this here you know this thing's here I can go for it if I want to so I would just go for it Hmm. interesting having applied to so many jobs and having got so many promotions in, in the end did you learn anything about what does get people promoted is there something that people should know or especially if we're talking about trying to encourage more new mums to continue to progress their careers any anything that they should know about what really gets people to promote it I know there's not a simple formula but I I'm struck sometimes that my personal opinion is that actually there, there are things that aren't in the books but that you only get from the the quotation marks old boys networks that gets you promoted. I don't know if I'm making sense, but basically, is there anything that you think gets people promoted that others should know? Well, I I guess working for the right organization in a way, because I feel like if you, so if you're a hardworking person and you aim to do a really good job and you're applying for promotion and you're not getting promoted within your organization, then I would say you're in the wrong organization, an organization that doesn't value you. So you know, I know that's easy to say and not so, not so easy to put into practice, but I feel like you have to be relentless in, in putting yourself forward for things, I think, and in kind of championing yourself. And it's not only, it's quite interesting because like when when I was doing my PhD, I, I ended up setting up the UK's first online network for women in tech, BCS women. And So that was a group, like an online group where women in tech could chat to each other about stuff that was relevant to them. And what I found was that quite a few people would ask questions around, you know, like, what should I do in this situation? What should I do in that situation? And so because of that, I started reading around all of this kind of stuff, reading like the online advice. And then without really thinking about it, started putting it into practice myself. So you know, you know, I would read things about when to apply for promotion. And basically, the answer is any time that you can, right. And so, 
you know, I really feel like that really helped me to feel more confident, I guess, in, in what I was doing was that, you know, that was the kind of received advice. If you read around, that's, that's what, what you'll hear. And I think part of the kind of advice around getting promotion is, is making sure that it's not just about that action at that time. It, a lot of it is about letting everyone know what you're doing. You know, I think women have a tendency to do a good job and not tell anyone about it. And, you know, I think kind of like society has conditioned us as, as women to, to basically not, not show off in quotes. You know, I, I can remember being told not to show off when I was a kid when I don't think I was showing off, but we've got this kind of thing in society that it's fine for, for men to speak up or boys even to talk about their achievements, but not for women. And I think it's important to, to let people know when you've done a good job to kind of champion yourself. And also it's a good idea to champion other women around you to people at the same level as you, but also people senior to you. And you know, I guess there's other things that I've learned are how great it is to have mentors, both within the organization and, and outside the organization that can help you at sort of key times of uh, decision making and, and provide you with advice. And again, you know, that's the sort of thing that I learned from looking up the answers to other people's questions on the BCS Women online network. So I think, you know, so I think it's not just about that decision. Should I apply for promotion? I think if you can apply for promotion, just go for it because what have you got to lose? So always apply. But at the same time, a lot of it is putting the kind of work in before you apply to make sure that everyone around you knows what you're doing, knows about your successes, knows about your contribution and so it's not just about doing a good job. It's about making sure that people know what you're doing and what your contribution is to the organization. And again, if that's not appreciated in that you don't get promoted, then you're in the wrong company or the wrong organization because, you know, we should all feel valued at work. And so if your work is, is not being valued, then there's a clear message there that you're, you're not in the right place. There's a lot, lot of wisdom in what you're saying. I'm just interested in, in a bit about your experience of technology specifically. Um, I think it's probably a field that a lot of us working in male-dominated sectors can learn a lot from. Is there anything that you've learned about working in a male-dominated sector that you think a lot of people don't know or don't realize about what to do? Any particular aspect? Well, I guess I'm coming in with an assumption that it is hard or harder to be heard in a male-dominated sector. I, I may be wrong, but if that assumption is true, is there something that you've learned about making yourself heard? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a challenge in kind of in any environment, really. So I think no, nothing's really springing to mind about how to behave in particular that's totally fine that's totally fine you know I, I think I've kind of chosen to work in computing because that's where I feel comfortable in lots of different ways and so you know so that does tend to be majority male environment which has meant that I've kind of spent quite a bit of my career focusing on supporting and championing women in tech well that's great and actually what a 
fantastic way to develop my stereotype. I'm really pleased to hear that. And actually also, you know, the fact that you've chosen something that you love clearly helps to help you thrive in that field. I'm interested in your 16-year-old daughter, if you don't mind sharing. So you obviously had two or, or four quite different goals at looking after children. And and I just wonder, what, aside from the financial situation, what, if anything, did you do differently in terms of bringing up, you know, balancing career with a baby or a toddler with your 16-year-old than with your older children? I was probably more relaxed. <laughs> I think, you know, so like the situation with my three older children was that I, you know, I was, I didn't have very much money. I was studying a lot of the time and then working and working really hard. So I think with three children there, I had to be quite strict, really. I had to be a bit of a kind of sergeant major, I suppose, just in terms of, you know, making sure everything got done. And yeah, so with my 16 year old daughter, I, you know, I haven't had to be like that as much. So I'm probably a lot more relaxed, got more money now. So, you know, I don't have to worry about money anymore. And so that's probably made a big difference. And, you know, it's been really lovely in that my older children, you know, I think it's been lovely for all of us to to kind of have Leah, you know, because they were kind of grown up by the time I had her. And so they're, they're brothers and sisters, but they're also kind of, I think they, they kind of feel slightly parental responsibilities for her as well. So I don't know, it's, it's just been lovely. I mean, I, I absolutely love little kids. I just love mucking about with little children. It's just so much fun. And so, you know, even though we had no money and life was difficult, we had so much fun, like when my, my older kids were little just doing silly things and mucking about and I don't know I just like I kind of like think back to times when for example I made loads of friends at uni and most of them so I was what 27 when I went to uni and so most of my friends in my class were like 18 year old boys well you know like guys and you know sometimes I'd go around to their houses with the kids and sometimes they'd come around to us, you know, we'd sort of play football down the park. But I just, for some reason in my mind, um, remembered this time when I had a couple of friends around from uni, so a couple of guys. And one of my sons, I think, found this massive ball of elastic bands, you know, like kind of little, <laughs> all um, kind of like all around each other in a ball. And we ended up playing a, a game of kind of elastic band fights where we we had two sofas at home and so we had two teams and we got behind the sofas and we had like half the elastic bands each and we were just like pinging elastic bands at each other so that that's the sort of thing that you know that's kind of like one of the best moments of my life like you know I really love playing with kids and so you know so I've I've done that kind of with my older kids when they were little then with my younger daughter when she was small and and now you know with five grandchildren I love kind of mucking about with them and I sort of look forward to doing much more than that. And I think, you know, that's one of my favourite things in my life is just like playing around with small kids. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing. It's a great reminder. So obviously I've got two-year-olds and four-year-olds. It's a great reminder that actually that is joyful and special. And you, I don't know your age, but I presume it is a while ago since they were, well, yeah, you said they were in their 30s. So, so actually that reminder that that is a joyful time is uh, definitely, yeah. 
useful. <laughs> but, yeah, but, I'm not saying it's not challenging having small children, and particularly in lockdown, right? So I, I realise that that's uh, a challenge. But those times when when your kids are uh, reasonably small and you can just do silly things with them, I just think that's that's the best time. It's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think it's important that we do mention tech moms and tech at women because these are two very important initiatives what are they and how can people get involved with them so tech moms is a social enterprise focused on empowering women particularly in disadvantaged areas through teaching them tech skills i guess and that came about so that came about so i started it eight years ago now so 2012 and you know i I kind of for a long time thought that felt very grateful really that sort of technology and education just dramatically changed my life really over the years and and took us as a family out of poverty and so you know and studying technology has enabled me to to see the world I think in a different way because I'm confident with technology and you know things now like social media which I think are just utterly amazing so obviously there's some negative side to that but but just the fact that we can now find people across the world that care about the same things that we do and connect with them. So, for example, like Me Too and Black Lives Matter is is a massive kind of exciting way that we can connect to people that we never could have done before in the whole of human history. So I find that very exciting. And, that, and there's so many things kind of from my career, from understanding technology, which have really enabled me to to live a sort of more productive and happier life, I guess. And, you know, a, Again, education has really opened my eyes to lots of opportunities that I didn't know were there. And I think that at some point I started thinking, I really want to do something to try and get out to people, to kind of help people to realise that technology is not this kind of scary thing that you don't want to engage with, but, but something that can really positively affect your life help you change your life and help you to live your best life and I really wanted to try and help people to understand that in general and and not so much now but particularly like eight or ten years ago technology was always being portrayed in the press as a negative thing you know it's like technology taking away our jobs and uh, there's kind of like big IT systems which the government had paid loads of money for that were failing and you know it was all negative Whereas I saw technology as this sort of amazing platform, an amazing suite of tools that we can use to, to positively affect our lives. And I really wanted to, to try and do something about that, to try and change people's perception of technology. And so I wasn't quite sure what to do to start with, but I, I decided to run some um, workshops with seven-year-old kids. So actually my, my youngest daughter was seven at the time to run some workshops teaching stuff like coding and app design with seven-year-olds because I think Michael Gove was the education secretary at the time and he was saying that computing was too difficult for anyone under the age of 14 and I just thought that's a load of rubbish. I'm sure we can teach kids coding and app design and stuff. And so I started running workshops for seven-year-old kids doing exactly that and they were just very successful. You know, no one had really done that before in 2012 I think it was and you know we didn't have coding in schools or anything at that time or even coding for kids at all and I you know I really wanted to kind of test out was that a possibility could kids do it and and found that they could and it was really successful and 
when we ran the workshops, we'd get the parents in at the end of the day to to kind of have a look at what the kids have been doing and have a go. And I just remember, you know, kind of saying to the parents, okay, you know, like your kids are going to show you now what they've done and, you know, it's time for you to have a go. And I noticed that when I looked around the room, having said that, that in general, so not everyone, but in general, the, the dads kind of stepped in and were like sort of hunched over the computer looking at what the kids were doing. And quite a few of the mums would just look very apprehensive. And it just started me thinking, you know, maybe what I should do is put a program together to teach mums tech skills. Because if if we can get mums on board thinking or seeing what positive things there are out there where they can use technology to improve their lives then we don't only get mums on board, we get the kids on board. And so probably like most of the dads would be on board anyway and thinking it was a good thing and they weren't scared of it. But if we could reach the mums and make them our kind of tech ambassadors or tech champions and role models, then not only are we kind of empowering those mums, we're empowering families, but also we're kind of creating tech role models, which are, which are female and which are mums as well. So I just thought, why don't I put a program together to to teach mums tech skills, basically. And so I found out around that time as well that the main positive influencing factors on kids doing well in literacy and numeracy at age 11 in primary school were their mum's education and their home environment. So I just thought that totally feeds into what I'm thinking, that if we can help mums to enjoy technology, to feel tech savvy, to become role models in tech, then, you know, we change the way that the the kids see it too. And so, you know, we get everyone, we get the family, hopefully the community feeling more positive about technology and more confident with technology. So I put a program together with stuff like app design, web design, social media, how to stay safe online, uh, a bit of coding in Python, put a program together and started running it at Bishop Challoner School in Tower Hamlets and had great success straight away, really. And so we've run the Tech Moms program now for eight years with various different organisations, mainly working with schools, colleges and libraries around the country. And we are now trying to, well, not trying to, we are now putting the content online so that we've got some of our program online. You know, the, we really focused on having a, a face-to-face classes with two people in the classroom kind of like leading the class through all the material because you know it's it's a great tech mums as well as kind of teaching tech skills is a place for mums to kind of come together and learn together and make friends with each other as well and so that's been running for example like recently with Leeds libraries and with various organizations around the UK and now mainly because of covid we're putting together an online program as well so that people, so that mums can do it in their own home as well, because there's just so many benefits to, to understanding tech that, you know, I just feel like particularly mums that maybe haven't been to university, you know, there's just so much information online. There's so many ways to kind of help yourself and your children, you know, even just for example, how to stay safe online. All of it, there's just so much important information which is out there. And so helping mums to, to know where to find that, helping them to feel positive about technology is a way in which you can really improve mums' lives, I think, and then families' lives. So, yeah, so that's Tech Mums. So it's at techmums.co online. 
and yeah we've been running for eight years now and still going strong tech up women is a program funded by the institute of coding which we ran over the last year so that's from durham university working in partnership with three other universities and 15 industry partners so throughout so i've now had a sort of career in tech for i don't know 25 years or whatever and i've kind of over time met so many women who who wanted to work in tech or wanted to be more tech savvy but didn't know where to start and i've also talked to lots of organizations who want to hire women into tech roles but say they don't get enough applications they want to hire more women but where are they kind of thing so i thought wouldn't it be a good idea to put together a retraining program to take women with degrees and a passion for technology into tech careers and so tech up women is basically that that program so we really focused on underserved communities so bame parents women with disabilities lgbt women put together a program a six-month program which was online mainly but also with four residential weekends at each of the partner universities and basically, it's a, a retraining program to to retrain women into tech careers. And talking to the industry partners, they came up with four specific job roles that they wanted us to train women into. So those were software developer, agile project manager, data scientist, and business analyst. And so we took a hundred women through a program over six months, which trained them into those into those job roles. And that's techupwomen.org online if anyone would like more details of that but also anyone can chat to me i'm at dr black on twitter if anyone wants to any further information about either of those programs both of them sound really inspirational and i will definitely i'm quite tempted to actually <laughs> once it goes online i'm really tempted to enroll in the tech moms one one them but no it's just really interesting that you've obviously gone through this career change yourself at a very early age and now you seem to have engineered opportunities for career change for others in a similar situation and that's brilliant especially because with this situation and the economic environment that we're in right now it's going to be even more relevant for more women who may be out of a job to join to join these sectors who probably will keep growing so that's actually really inspiring and I find very energizing to hear about. We've come to the end of our time and I would like to ask you for one or two things that someone who's thinking about a career change to, in a completely different field um, can do this week to get the ball rolling. Obviously, two things are to look at tech moms and tech women. But what's the third <laughs> yeah. thing that someone should should do to get started with a career change? So do you mean someone who knows what they what, what career they want to go into or doesn't know? Um, let's say someone who doesn't know. Well, I mean, I would say there's various things that you can do. I think really, so for me, what I've managed to do over my career, sometimes thinking about it, like kind of in the front of my mind, but I think sometimes it's just been in the back of my mind is that I want a job where I enjoy everything that I do. And so throughout most of my career, I've enjoyed a lot of what I do, but not all of it. And I think I've kind of like gradually move towards roles where I love 100% of what I'm doing in my job role. And so, for example, now as professor of uh, computer science uh, at Durham, kind of when I was having the conversations with the university around what was this job going to look like for me, I said that 
I don't want to give up the things that I'm doing already. So I don't want to stop being part of Tech Mums. And I don't want to stop, you know, some of the writing that I do or public speaking. And they said, yes, that's fine. We want you because you're you, basically. And so, you know, that was part of the the conversation. And I think for me, that's that's where you want to aim for is you you want a job role where you enjoy everything that you do and where the the organization wants you because you're you. And so the thing to aim for is to enjoy every moment that you're at work because it's it kind of fits in with your passions and just to gradually make your way there, I guess. That is an extremely brilliant answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm saying this because a friend of mine has just told me to do an exercise called something around basically writing your what your ideal day is going to look like in 10 years time and I love this idea and I think by the sound of it you're almost at that ideal day like what would you love to have in your day and then make sure your career moves toward that ideal day in 10 years time um so is there anywhere else you would like people to look at if they want to connect with you or find out more about you aside from your twitch profile and tech moms and tech women yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So chat to me on LinkedIn, chat to me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well. Sue Black, I think real, real Dr. Black or real Sue Black. I can't remember, but I'm reasonably easy to find online. And uh, yeah, very happy to chat to people. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sue. It's been really thought provoking talking to you. Thank you for listening today. I want to spread this message that it is absolutely okay to love your ambitious career and love your children at the same time. And I need your help to achieve this. I would love to make a difference to more people and reach 1000 listeners by September for this podcast. So if this podcast has helped you in any way, please do take a moment to share it with five of your friends. And of course, do share it on social media. And like with any podcast, five stars reviews really help with the visibility and also if you haven't already do sign up to our newsletters on www.leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter for inspiration and practical tips until next time have a wonderful week